not so long ago that a church is, oh, oh I didn't start my clock yet. You're all in trouble. <laughs> I heard a guy say that a church, a church's effectiveness should not be measured by how many people attend. A church's effectiveness should be measured by how many people are sent. And so we would love to send about 200 of us. I'll be up there most of the time the first several months. Pastor Will Franco, who you will hear preach here next week, will be our campus pastor. It'll be the same sermons, and the music's going to be pretty similar because that guy named Matt, who did such a great job today, he is the worship leader of Tri-Village Church that we're starting. So, yeah. And, and we're going to steal Siri every week we possibly can to come and sing with him up there. So we're, we're sending our best. Join us. You're the best. Okay. All right. Ready, set, sermon time begins now. Open your Bibles, please. Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. I'm very excited to give you a very sad message. <laughs> We're dealing with realities here. If you're just visiting in our church, we're really happy you're here. You can use one of the Bibles on the backs of the seats there. We're at page 775, Jeremiah 25. We're taking you back to approximately the year 605 B.C. That's where we find Jeremiah today. Last week, Rob said something I didn't agree with. Now, he's perfect almost all the time. But he said something I didn't agree with at first, and this is what it was. He said, I think Jeremiah be, may be one of the greatest human beings that ever lived. And I thought to myself, no, he wasn't. He failed. Nobody listened to him. The assignment God gave him, it did, he could never write a book on leadership or management. Because he failed. So why do you think he's so great? Ah, the more I thought about it, then I thought maybe Rob was right. It wasn't for his success, but it was for his endurance. He kept at it. This is one of the rare times in the book of Jeremiah where you and I are actually told where we are in the historical order. If you look at chapter 25, look at verse 3. And Jeremiah is speaking. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me again and again. I've spoken to you again and again, and you haven't listened. All right, I'll tell you what year it is. Because we know when he started his prophetic work. And we know that he said he's been doing it for 23 years at this point. The year is 605 B.C right now but here's the point he's been saying the same thing over and over again for 23 years he started when he was about 20 he's in his mid 40s right now what he doesn't know that we do know because we look on the other side of history is he's only at half time he's going to be doing this and not being listened to for almost 50 years. This is halftime. Halftime. I ran my first marathon about 15 years ago. I trained for it. 
I thought this is a great thing to do. I'll have a lot of fun. And so on that given historic Memorial Day in the city of Chicago, I along with 40,000 other really silly people decided to try to run 26.2 miles. Actually, when it started, it was going better than I thought it would. I felt great. Now the Kenyans started out. They're the world's greatest long distance runners. But we weren't so far behind. I was feeling so good at mile five, six, seven, and eight. Thousands of people lining the streets, cheering us on, saying, you can do it, you can do it. I had an inkling that maybe I could catch the Kenyans. <laughs> 46 years old with this body, and I'm going to catch the Kenyans who were made for this. But the, you, you don't think well when you're exercising hard. You just need to know that, all right? We kept running. Mile five was great. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Thousands of people, runners everywhere. Ten, eleven, twelve. This is not so fun anymore. My legs are tightening up. My 46 year old body is starting to say, stupid, stupid. <laughs> I just kept going, slowing down the pace. I thought, I can do this, I can do this, I know I can do this. Halftime is mile 13. And the city of Chicago is kind enough to put this big clock right across the 13-mile marker, 13.1, to let you know where you're at at halftime. Every person has this little chip on their foot so that when you go under it, it flashes your time. This is when I got discouraged. Because as I crossed the halfway mark, beginning to feel tired and wore down, I realized the Kenyans had just finished the marathon. <laughs> but that wasn't all. A prophet, a prophet appeared from the crowd. Almost everybody's cheering on. You can do this. You're doing great. They're lying to you, all right? <laughs> But one person was telling the truth. He was a young kid, maybe 11, 12 years old. He steps out of the crowd as my little pack of people crosses the halfway line, and he said this, You have a long way to go. <laughs> and that's where Jeremiah's at. He doesn't even know. He's not even at halfway point yet. And he's already beaten and bruised physically and not listened to for 23 years and another 25 are yet to come for him. I have two brief sermons today. And this first one is on the topic that we see exemplified in Jeremiah's life. Endurance. Endurance. Oswald Chambers says this, all noble things are difficult. And indeed they are. Indeed they are. We call him the weeping prophet, but we think of him as the unshakable prophet. For we trust in our God and with his unfailing love. How did they sing it for us? We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. When Christ lives in your life, when God is with you, you can endure life. 
and life is hard for everybody. Notice the use of the term in the end of verse 3. I have spoken to you again and again, and you have not listened. And then look at verse 4. Though the Lord sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened. I've circled all those agains because I thought that's my life. Again and again and again and again. And the longer you're doing this thing, the harder it gets. The longer you live, the more you say, how long, O Lord, before you come back and make everything that is wrong right? How long, O Lord, do we endure in a world of racial division, of lack of respect, of the killing of public servants sent to protect us, of bombers on trains in Germany, of semi-trucks rolling over people in France. How long, O oh Lord? And the truth is we don't know. Jeremiah is our example of hanging in there. Hanging in there when you have chronic disease. Hanging in there when you have children with special needs and you realize they will be with you your whole life until they pass on to heaven? How long do you pray for a child raised in the church who goes his or her own way and the moms and dads and the grandmas and the grandpas pray for 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and more? How long, O oh Lord? The answer to that is we don't know. But it's a long time. I like what Eugene Peterson says. The mark of a certain kind of genius is the ability and the energy to keep returning to the same tasks relentlessly and imaginatively for a whole lifetime. The mark of a certain kind of genius is the ability and the energy to keep returning to the same tasks relentlessly, imaginatively, for a whole lifetime. Jeremiah is our example at that. Tuesday night, our house, I'm on the phone with my best friend's wife. This best friend and I have been best friends since we were 22 years old, fresh out of college. And we decided to take motorcycles and go all the way from California up through the Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, Montana, down the Pacific Coast. We did that at 22. At 25, we did it in sports cars. We have been in each other's weddings. We have supported each other's lives. We have been involved in our, each other's children's weddings, and I've even buried one of his children. But now that dear friend's mind is leaving him. It's happening slowly, but it's happening nonetheless. I found myself saying to God in the dark of Tuesday night, again, Lord, see, my best friend Chris Mitchell died two years ago, and now my dear friend Dennis is beginning to see his mind degrade. Pretty soon he'll be walking about, but he may not know me or his loved ones. Why, Lord? How long? In fact, tomorrow I get on a plane and I fly to meet him halfway in Salt Lake City, 
And we're going to retrace our steps through the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone and Montana. It won't be on a motorcycle. Uh, Marie won't allow that. Uh, <laughs> or a sports car, but I have rented a Chevy Impala. Uh, <laughs> that's the difference between 22 and 64. See? And I just want to hang with him as long as we can know each other. How long, O oh Lord? As soon as that call was gone, another one came in, and this one was for Marie. And it was us learning that her father with stage 4 lung cancer really does only have a very few months to live. How long, O oh Lord? There isn't anybody get, that gets through life without having to go through very, very tough things, everybody. God calls us to an endurance that's exemplified in Jeremiah that you can only do if you've let Jesus Christ become the center of your life. How do we endure? Three steps. Number one, remember that God is good and he's absolutely in charge. If I had this to write over, I'd add another couple of words there. I would say, remember that God is good God is here, <laughs> and he's absolutely in command. That's especially helpful when it doesn't seem like he is. And there will be times in life when you won't think he is. Hang in there. God is good, God is here, and God is in command. Number two, learn to give thanks. Practice thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not what he has done. Psalms 103 and 1. He forgives all of our sins. Yes, Lord, I remember. He heals all our diseases. If not in this life, in the one to come. Yes, Lord, I remember. He redeems our life from hell. Yes, Lord, I remember. Folks, when life is really hard and seems to be going the wrong way, pause and remember what God has done. Cling to it. Thanksgiving gives you the energy to endure the sorrows. And then third and finally, practice daily dependence. I was talking to a, a man in our congregation today between services, and he said, you know what I'm really learning? I'm really learning that I really need God for everything. I always forget that. I can't do anything apart from God. And the truth is, I don't want to. But I still do. So every day, over and over again, as the songs exemplified, as Matt's prayer at the end, so, so good for us. Lord, make me yours so that I can depend on you in every way. Just some of the ways to live the enduring life that Jeremiah's life calls us to. Now, let's move on a little bit. And if you'll allow, I'm going to look at this passage, the rest of it, with a different theme. I'm breaking all homiletical rules right now. Just thought I'd tell you, okay? Sermon 1, endurance, knowing God is with you. Sermon 2, the judgment of God that will not wait. It gets really sad after this, everybody. Look at verses 5 and 6.
Jeremiah and the prophets constantly calling people to repent. Verse 5, they said, we have said, Jeremiah speaking, turn now, each of you. Turn now, each of you. Every human being, turn. Turn what? Turn each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices. That's Jeremiah's message. He's giving it to nations and he's giving it to each of them, individuals. Whatever it is that's broken, that's messed up, that is causing you pain and those around you, say to God, I don't want this anymore. Turn away. Turn away from it. All evil practices. Turn away from all evil ways. Then, look what it says, then you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Verse 6, don't follow other gods to serve and worship them. Don't arouse my anger with the things you have made. Read that one more time. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. You see, that's a conditional statement. Don't arouse my anger with the things you have made, then I will not harm you. Verse 7, but you didn't listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made. What are we talking about there? Idolatry. You hear Rob speak on this a lot, myself and others. Idolatry. This, this insatiable habit we have to elevate the things God created to godness. It, it, it's, it's worshiping things created, not the creator. And it can be bad things that we worship, that we give our affections toward, that we give our thoughts toward. And it starts to consume us. Evil practices and thoughts. Hatred, jealousies, envy. It can also be great things. That we give our affections, our desires, and our attention to. We can elevate our children to a form of godness. We can elevate our work to that. I struggle with that one. I love my work so much. I love helping people find God so much. I love the local church so much that I make an idol of my work. I, I do it with my health. And, and God's beating the tar out of me on that one. I've got two torn rotator cuffs, and three weeks ago I half-severed, uh, ruptured a tendon in my right bicep. It, uh, water skiing. El stupido. Every night, <laughs> I lay in pain, not able to sleep on my side, on my stomach, and even on my back. My, my rotator cuffs just, just drive me nuts. And I say, how long, oh Lord? In some ways, I've idolized my fitness. All I know is it says, and you say, well, Lon, those aren't, that's not idolatry. I mean, these people laid, made little statues and called them gods. That's why it's so hard for us to get a hold of this. Because as Sarah Young says, current idols are more subtle than the ancient ones because most of our idols are not religious. 
I know a lot of people that Donald Trump is their idol. I know a lot of people that Hillary Clinton is their idol. Way, way too much authority, desire, and hope placed on a government. It's just out there. And he says, turn away, turn away, and I will not harm you. Now, look with me at the end of verse 7. You've aroused my anger with what your hands have made, with the things you put in my place, and you bring harm to yourselves when you do so. We do know that, don't we? I'm simply repeating what Pastor Rob's been saying so well to us. When you get involved making idols of things that are not being idols, you end up hurting yourself and everyone else around you. God cries out. He cries out through Jeremiah. Decade after decade after decade, turn away and turn to God. Incidentally, if you have not turned to God with your life yet, do it today. At the end of our service, our, our uh, prayer counselors will be here. They would love to actually lead you to Jesus Christ this morning. They have some materials to give you. We, we would celebrate that. Many of you are starting to come to faith in Christ right now. Wonderful. Turn away from idolatries and turn to God today. Because if you don't, judgment is coming. I'm sorry, but that's what it says. Look with me now at verse 8. Therefore, the Lord God Almighty says, Because you have not listened to my words, Jerusalem and Judah, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. This is really the end of the line for Jerusalem and Judah. It's 605. Nebuchadnezzar's at the door. He's already stealing all of the intellectual uh, elites, taking them to Babylon. He's not taking over the land yet, but he's robbing it of all of its resources. It's starting to happen. 18 years after this, he'll decimate the city. He'll destroy literally everything. And that's exactly what Jeremiah prophesies. God says, all right, it's over. Again and again and again, I've told you to turn, and you haven't. Now, whistle blows, everyone's out of the pool, and judgment falls. Look at verse 10. Uh, powerful imagery of what it's going to be like as the judgment falls. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom. Marie and I were just uh, uh, involved in a wedding yesterday. The joy of bride and bridegroom, it's going to be gone. There'll be no sounds of gladness. There'll be no children playing in the streets. They will be, look what it says, there, there won't be the sound of millstones. Millstones, the grinding of food. It was industry. Industry will be destroyed. There'll be no workplaces. There'll be no work. Everything will be destroyed. The whole country, even the light of the lamp, there won't be enough low-grade olive oil in the land to even light lamps at night. God says, I've waited, I've waited, I've waited. It's time for judgment. The whole country will become a wasteland and all of the nations will serve the king of Babylon. 
for 70 years. So Judah and Jerusalem are in the first phases of that. 18 years from now, the city will be destroyed. The country will be completely taken over, everything decimated. And the king of Babylon will rule the earth for 70 years. But listen, it's not just Judah and Jerusalem that get it. Look at verse 12. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I'll make it desolate forever. Folks, God doesn't use Babylon because Babylon's so good <laughs> to exact his justice. He simply uses them as his agent. Martin Luther said the devil is, after all, God's devil. Babylon's going to get theirs. A world empire, the shortest reigning world empire in all of history is Babylon. 70 years, and then it's over for them as well. And note what it says there. For their guilt, the end of verse 12, and I will make it desolate forever. Ancient Babylon area is modern-day Iraq. Did you know that at the end of this 70 years, when judgment falls on Babylon and they are taken over and destroyed, it says desolate forever. They will never be a self-governing nation again for 2,500 years. Desolate forever. That's the prophecy. Only in 1932 did Iraq become its own country again. And that only lasted until what? Around the year 2001, when the Western world said enough of this. And now we see ISIS and we see just devastation, Iraq and Syria. This prophecy comes through. See, I thought God was a God of love. He is. He waits and he waits and he waits and he keeps saying, I love you. Come to me. But if we continue to say no, he says, all right, hammer down. See, we have to understand that God is a God of love and a God of absolute justice. Sometimes I think we need a different portrait of Jesus because the one that we love so much is Jesus, the great shepherd, the lover of our souls. All of that is so right. But he's also the Lord God Almighty over heaven and earth. In the book of Revelation, in the first chapter, don't have time to read it to you, but you might want to look at this later in the first chapter of Revelation, you see a picture of Jesus you don't even want to see. Here it is exemplified on the screen for you. He is the Lord Almighty, and justice is in his hand, and his eyes are like fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, and in the book of Jeremiah, he comes on the white horse and he literally brings justice to the whole world it says the sword of his hand look at this it's symbolic of the fact that god is god and we are not and no nation is and god has provided a way for everyone to be saved but at the end of time if people won't be judgment falls it's kind of like the story we got from julie jernan this week as she was writing our devotions she said, my dad's one of the nicest guys in the world. And when I was a little child, I loved my dad and he loved me. And, and he was really nice. 
One day at age three, Julie says, I decided that during the dinner hour, I would stand up in my chair and not sit down. And she says, go back and look at these devos. They're just great. And she, and she says, and my dad said, Julie, sit down. And Julie goes, no. Julie, sit down. And Julie says, no. And then she says, you know what my dad did? My well-meaning, easygoing dad, he gets up, he grabs me, puts me under his arm, marches me up into my room, puts me in there and says, you stay there. That's when Julie learned that her dad was both a dad of love and justice. And that's our world. Judgment is real, and it's coming soon. Dear friends, if you have not turned away from your own self, if you've not turned away from evil practices and thoughts, if you've not turned away and cried out for God's help to make you better, please do so today. We appeal to you in the name of the risen Jesus Christ. The God of love is the God of fury. Look at the final verse I want to touch on, verse 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all nations drink it. So God gives to Jeremiah the image of a cup. And in that cup is the fury of God, justice, that is going to be poured out, Jerusalem, Judah, Babylon, and then if you read the rest of that chapter, every nation on earth. The cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's fury. Wow. You know why we're starting Tri-Village Church? <laughs> you know why we every week talk to you about going, telling people about Jesus? Because we want to save people from the justice of God. The cup of wrath. The cup is used for something else. In Matthew 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus uses the cup language and he says this, Father, please take this cup away from me. What did he mean? If you haven't heard this, you haven't lived. Jesus Christ will have the cup of God's fury poured out on him. He was bruised for our, pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and Jesus himself will take the justice of God's fury on himself. And he says, Lord, I'd rather not do that, but not my will, thine be done. It's not too late for anybody. It's never too late. Jesus took the justice of God on himself so that you could be forgiven for all your sins, so that the nations could be forgiven. 
So friends, here's where I close. If you haven't turned to God, do it today. And those of you that have, go to the cities and the villages and turn people toward God. Pray with me now. Father, unto you every thought. Oh, Lord, grant my brothers and sisters all they need to endure this life. And Lord, call each of us to turn from our idols and call the nations to turn and make us turners. Amen and amen. Amen.